And what a joy to be able to sing scripture in the way that we have done in those moments. And it's a great way to learn scripture. So that's Psalm 84. Perhaps this afternoon after you've had your, your lunch, sit back and read it and, uh, and rejoice. So we're going to uh, read the scriptures now, if we may. And uh, I can stand over here. So we're familiar with this section of scripture. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner... In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So the subject that we continue to look at is being the husband God wants you to be. Now it's great that uh, your wives have come this morning, and it's great that uh, there are single women here, and it's great that there are single guys here. Because God's word is for all of us, and in preparation for our lives, it's good to be able to see what God has to say to us and help us to learn. Now, it is fair to say, uh, girls, that if you're uh, uh, thinking of looking for a husband at any point in the not-too-distant future, then it's good to have been able to attend uh, today and uh, three weeks ago when we began to look at what a husband should be. Um, as God intended him or intends him to be. Now, if you're married here, this morning could be uh, quite depressing for you in many respects because you're thinking to yourself, well, yes, that's the ideal situation. Now back to reality. Uh, Because what the scriptures are speaking of here is not what I have to contend with on a day-to-day basis. I wake up in the morning and there's no change. I go to bed at night and there's still no change. Nothing has altered. Well, I hope that maybe just this evening, this afternoon, today, as we begin to look at this scripture more carefully, that perhaps some of the men here would begin to understand that we don't live as the world does. We don't bring what the world thinks a man should be and how he should live and how he should operate, bring that into a Christian marriage, into a marriage which is um, uh, indeed endeavoring to be a blessing to, uh, to us. And so contrary to what you may have heard, the Bible never instructs husbands to rule or to command their wives. And again, this is something that has been, if you like, a bit of bad press for some of us who would consider ourselves perhaps to uh, be conservative, evangelical. And uh, maybe in days gone by, it has been an unfortunate situation that there has been teaching 
where we tend to give the impression that men should command their wives, tell them what to do, and so on. But the Bible, and I want to make this very, very clear, does not say this. The Bible asks wives to obey their husbands and to submit to their husbands. And so the question that we want to ask and perhaps answer this morning is, how do we reconcile these two seemingly opposing statements together? And if this is uh, how a wife uh, responds to her husband, how are husbands supposed to lead their families? So these are the sort of questions that we want to answer this morning. Now, of course, uh, it is fair to say that when you have the responsibility to stand and to prepare a message and stand and proclaim the word of God, it's not always easy because you can't help but look at your own life and think, oh dear, you know, this is, this is challenging. And there are times when my wife has to explain certain things to me um, about my behavior. And uh, there are times that we talk together and that we have quite frank and open conversations. So I want you to understand that this doesn't come from a sense of uh, being presented uh, on a pedestal or being better than anybody else. In fact, there are many guys here who I respect and admire very much. This morning, we continue where we left off three weeks ago by looking at this uh, subject. Uh, now, our next, uh, um, or the text that uh, we, we want to look at specifically this morning is the verse 7 of the verses that we have read together. So that's verse 7. But if you can remember back three weeks, you'll remember that we briefly looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 14. And if you have your Bibles, and it would be quite good to keep them open uh, during the course of this morning, because I can't keep doing lots of screens. I think it's impressive that we've managed to have as many pictures and slides as we have done so far already. And uh, so, so all I would say is, uh, is be grateful. But um, if we turn back to chapter 1, which we looked at briefly last time, and verse 14, we read these words. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. And it was that word ignorance that we were able to relate back to chapter 3 and uh, verse 7, which talks about knowledge. And so we see two concepts diametrically opposed to each other. If you're ignorant, you don't have knowledge. And if you are knowledgeable, you're not ignorant. Well, that's the way that it should work. And so we begin to understand that what we have here is very, very important because it explains to us as men that it comes down to what we know. There are things that we need to understand Peter is saying, prepare your minds for action. He says, be self-controlled. He tells us to set our hope fully on the grace to be given to us when Jesus Christ is revealed. I want us to notice that verse 14. We've read it a moment and here it is. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Well, what are those? Well, the scriptures explain them very, very clearly. But verse 13 helps us. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. So we can see here the importance of what we think, the importance of what's going on in our minds. 
It talks about being sober-minded. Now, what does that mean? It's not talking about alcohol here. It's talking about the fact that we need to have clear heads. It means that we need to have a clear understanding as to what is going on in our lives, in our hearts, in our Christian lives, and so on. And we need to rest our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as non-Christians, what the Scriptures explain to us is that we are ignorant of certain things. As a non-believer, one of the things that we are ignorant of is who Christ is and what he has done for us. We might know about Jesus. We might have read the Bible even. We might have a degree in theology. But if we are not saved, then we are unable to have the knowledge that the Scriptures speak of so clearly that we need to have to be able to live the Christian life as we should do in a powerful way in a way where we see success. And I have no objections to using that word. And I'm not talking about financial success, but I'm talking about the success that we have as men, as women, because of the way that we're living and the way that we live if we're married. So we recognize that knowledge is what we need to be able to do this. But as non-Christians, we lived in ignorance. Ignorance to what? Well, Peter is saying here, he is saying we were not simply ignorant of the way of salvation, but we're ignorant of the purposes of God for the way that life should be lived. And of course, as we read the Scriptures, the Scriptures explain to us how to live our lives in every aspect, how to bring up our children, how to relate to our partners. But when we become a believer, something's changed. You've come to faith in the Savior. And what this means is that the old way of living should be buried. It should be gone. And we've spoken about this before. In the baptistry, when we bury the people under the water, those who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the problem is, is that somehow when we're raised or when we're raised up out of the water, we want to cling and bring the problems with us the sins of our old life. And yet God's word says don't do that. And so the idea of being buried in the water, being buried with Christ, is that we leave the old life behind. The Christian life is not a hybrid of a non-Christian life. It's not you can keep doing all the things that you used to do, except you know you're going to go to heaven. It's not sort of living the way that you used to, thinking the things that you did, going to the places that you did, behaving in the way that you did, and then simply putting some sort of veneer, some sort of gloss on it, and keeping safe in your back pocket that go-to-heaven-get-out-of-hell-free card. And yet today it seems that some people have this idea, but that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says the old life has to be buried. It has to be left behind. We have to move forward with the new life that comes through Christ living within us. Because Jesus isn't just leaving us on our own. You know, he saved us and he continues to live in us to enable us to live this new life. So, the Christian husband discovers that because he's saved, the way he lives his life, the way he treats his wife, will be different to the man who is not saved. But sadly, I come across some guys who don't have any allegiance to Christ, but they seem to treat their wives better than some men who would claim at least to be saved, treat their wives. You see, the Christian life has an impact 
on every aspect of our lives, including our marriages. A Christian husband is no longer ignorant to the things of God. And he is now, according to God's word, to live according to the knowledge. The knowledge which has become his. And again, I use the words very, very precisely. That knowledge has become his as a result of the work of redemption within his life. So we need to ask ourselves, what is the knowledge that is being spoken here? What is the kind of knowledge that we're talking about when it comes to our marriages? And how we treat our wives? And how we lead our families? Because our families are desperately in need of being led properly. Being led in a strong, biblical fashion. Well, there are certain things that we need to understand. And I've just uh, tried to put a few of them down. I want to say that, in all honesty, there are more. But uh, we can look at these to begin things um, this morning. So the first sort of area of knowledge that we need to have and to understand is the wonderful provision that God has made for us in marriage. Now, society wants to downplay marriage. Society doesn't like commitment. You know, well, what if I get fed up with him after a while? Uh, what if I don't like her after a while? What are we going to do? What do we do with the children? You know, the idea that society has today is that it doesn't see commitment as being important. It doesn't see it as being valuable. And that comes out in lots of areas in life. It isn't just marriage. But now, uh, when you fill out your paperwork for immigration to Canada, it talks very, very clearly about um, the words used are, are common law husband or wife, common law partner. And, and it has now meant that that just a relationship where you live together is deemed to be absolutely on the same par with marriage. So we recognize that we're at a massive disadvantage. The Church of the Lord Jesus Christ teaches something which is absolutely diametrically opposed to the way that the world functions and thinks. I was trying to explain to my son recently that when I was his age and we were growing up, you had the church here and you had the world here. And the strange thing was that from a moral perspective, a moral code, what people in the world thought was not dissimilar to what people in the church thought. Let me give you some examples. So uh, homosexuality, for example, LGBTQ issues. When I was growing up, there was a general understanding that it was not good, it was not right. But now that has changed. So the church and the world were, that there was parity in that sense. Um, other areas like marriage, Divorce in the world was deemed not to be a good thing. So it wasn't just the church that thought that. But now uh, we see that, uh, that that has changed. And we were able to go through a long list, things like pornography. You know, when I was growing up, you had to be at least six foot to reach the magazine on the top shelf in the newsagent. Okay, and then if you had the nerve to do it, the newsagent knew your mum and dad and he'd tell them straight away. So that was the difference, whereas now you, the, our youngsters don't have to try. It's switch your phone on and there it is. So you can begin to see the differences. So what I want to say is that the wonderful provision that God has made for us in marriage, just listen to this, security, real security, trust. You know you can trust your partner. These are things which women, for example, in the world would love to have. 
and yet society has taken it away from them. Men would love to have, but society downgrades it. And so we believe very clearly that when God created Eve and introduced Adam to his wife, right from the very beginning, right from the outset, this was the plan. And so we recognize that it's a wonderful provision that is made for us because God cares for us. If you're not married this morning, perhaps you want to be married, you should be praying. You should be trusting. You should be seeking that God brings along the right person, the right guy, the right girl for you. The second one is the clear parameters that God has set for marriage to be lived and the way that God intends it to be lived. So the thing is, there are boundaries that are placed in marriage. Um, when we become married, there are things that we don't do anymore. You know, relationships with other people of the opposite sex. That will change. We recognize that our number one responsibility has changed in terms of, uh, of, our, of, of the relationship below God. Because remember, our, always our number one responsibility is our relationship with God. It's me and my relationship with God, then me and my relationship with my wife. And the children are down below. And we have to understand that these are God-given clear parameters that are set for us in our marriage. Now, of course, if we stray from those, everything will go wrong. Problems will come in. And difficulties will be presented to us. Number three, a unique purpose for which God has ordained husbands and wives. We're not the same. We have different responsibilities. We have different gifts, different abilities. And when a couple recognizes this and we work together, we discover that the Christian family is the most wonderful thing that can operate. And remember we said last time we spoke on this, if you can't live your Christian faith out in your family, you'll never do it anywhere. And so we can begin to see the imperative and the importance of these things. And then number four, what our wives are by nature and grace. And I had to put that one in because the section of Scripture that we have here has got six verses for the girls to take on board, guys to listen to as well, and one verse for the chaps. Now, I think that, that the Lord perhaps realizes that guys can't take in too much info in one go. So there's a limit, but we have to understand that, uh, that these Scriptures are very, very important for us to look at. So the Christian husband is different from his non-Christian golfing buddies. The Christian husband doesn't laugh at the same jokes. He doesn't read the same literature. He doesn't spend hours watching pornography. Why? Because he's committed to dwelling with his wife, living with his wife, according to the knowledge that he cannot step out of the parameters that God has created for the marriage bond and still enjoy the privileges that God has intended. I now briefly want to talk about the word honor that appears in uh, the verses that uh, we have looked at. Honor is an interesting word. Uh, I think uh, some um, copies of the scriptures 
translate it in a different way. And I'm just trying to think what the word is that they use. A respect, maybe. I'm not sure. But uh, the King James and the New King James has retained the word honor. And I do think that the word honor is different to respect. Uh, The word honor has a sense of majesty about it. I would suggest that in the English language, it's a richer word. Not entirely sure what I mean by that, but I, I would say that. It's a richer word than the word simply respect. Uh, For example, we may respect the sign that says 50 kilometers per hour. You know, you might not really like it, but there it is. But you don't get out and plant flowers around it. You don't get down and worship it, do you? You don't sort of polish it, but you respect it. And so there's a difference in that sense. The word honor has this majesty sort of to it. And so there is a distinction in some measure in the English language between respect and honor. And in actual fact, the word which is used here in uh, this verse is the same word that is translated in verse 7 of chapter 2 by the word precious. Uh, The verse uh, that we're referring to is, Now to you who believe this stone is precious. And the word that is translated precious there is the same word that is being spoken of when it comes to your wife to honor her. Now, I can see a connection between these two. The literal translation of 1 Peter 3, and I've left the verse off there, 14 or whatever, is this. Husbands, treat your wives with preciousness. Now, for wives here, you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is tremendous. Because that's what I need him to do. And some of the husbands here are thinking, what in the world is he talking about? I love my wife. But is she precious to you? Now, guys, when you have something that is precious, there are certain things that you do with this. You keep it safe. Perhaps it's a valuable gold coin or a valuable ring or something. Maybe it was passed down from generation to generation in your family and you're not going to be the one who's going to lose it and it's precious to you. And so you keep it in a special place. You treat it with particular care and courtesy. You understand what I'm getting at? Well, let's just pause for a moment and ask ourselves a couple of questions. Have our wives lately been made unmistakably aware of the fact that apart from Christ, they are the most precious part of your relationship, of your life. The most precious thing that you enjoy in the whole world, that you value in the whole world. We move on. Have you done anything to make sure that the preciousness of our wives is shown and exalted and is experienced and is enjoyed by them? Now, I hope there's going to be no arguments over the Sunday lunch today. But these are important things. Have we realized lately what it means for our wives to endeavor 
to live out the first six verses of 1 Peter chapter 3. Have we for one moment thought about it? Do we understand what those verses mean for them? Have we acknowledged what they mean? Do we in any way accommodate the way that we treat our wives so that they are able to obey, to be submissive to us, as the Scripture says? Have we realized what it is for them to walk into an alien environment to the things that they are seeking to do by living out 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6? Guys, do we have any idea just how desperately difficult those verses are when we live in a world which thinks that our wives are crackers, are crazy, are unhinged? Because they talk about obedience, they talk about submission. And in the world, women aren't having that. And it's, it's their proof that the Bible is rubbish. Because it's telling them how to live in a way that is wrong. These women are freaks. Do you realize that there aren't many women left, even in the church, who are prepared to live out 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 6? Have you grasped that? Because the world hates women like this. Godly women who live to please God and follow his plan and his purpose for the family. Do you understand that this is where the church is being attacked first and foremost because the children that are brought up in families where these principles are not held to will never understand them. They will never be able to live in the way that they should do, or at least as, as, uh, without, without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. The world screams at women like this and tells them to get out of the narrow, strange, old-fashioned, biblical route and get in here into the mainstream world. Get with us. We're the women of tomorrow. And our wives have to say no so often. But chaps, do you realize what it takes for them to say no? Do you realize how much they are in need of our affirmation, of our approval, of our affection, of our support, of our encouragement? Guys, of our understanding of preciousness. A wife not so long ago said to me, he just doesn't get it. He's never got it. He doesn't want to get it. He doesn't understand. He doesn't want to understand. But guys, we do need to understand. And it's only as we help and as we give the affirmation, approval, affection, support, encouragement that our wives are able to live as they should. Why is it that between the ages roughly of about 37 to about 47, 
there is the greatest breakdown for women in their marriages. Marriages break down quite, in fact, more often or not, not because of adultery, but because communication stops. Because the preciousness is no longer there. Because this happens. One goes here, one goes there. And that happens because we've not held to God's word as we should do. Chaps, it's very simply that we're not being the husbands we should be. We're not treating our wives as we should be. We're not doing our job correctly. And often the reason we're not doing our job correctly is because we're too busy doing our other job. We work long hours because we want the money to make life better for our wife and all she wants is our time. All our children want is dad to be home. And we're out trying to pay off the credit card or something. And we're not doing our job properly. Hours and hours we're working, but we're not doing the job. Now, I'm not one for jokes and things in services because I don't really think there's a lot of place for it. So forgive me for the attempt at uh, trying to lighten the atmosphere to get us to think carefully about these things. But Fred walks in. He's late again. And he's also exhausted. And he is. He grunts some sort of acknowledgement to his wife as he comes through the front door or the back door. She's not entirely sure what he's grunted, but he made a noise, which was at least an acknowledgement. But he walks right past her to the usual spot where he expects his meal to be ready. And when he gets there, his meal's not there. And he says, where's my meal? He doesn't say anything else to his wife. And she scurries off and she finds it. Unless, of course, she's decided to not go with the 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 16 route, in which case she says to him, your dinner's in the dog. That's where you'll find it. And if it's not in the dog, go and cook it yourself. Because she's having none of it. Finally, Fred gets his meal. He sits by himself. Because he's not interested in conversation, either with his wife or his children. Doesn't really care what her day's been like. He grabs the TV remote control and he skips through the TV channels looking for something to entertain himself. And with great sadness, his wife sits and watches him. She hears the TV. And then she talks to the children and she explains that dad has been at work and he's been busy and he's too busy to spend time with them. Eventually he finds the strength to get out of the chair. He meets his friends at the squash club just to burn off some energy. He returns home sweaty, late, and he puts on his favorite song by Shel Silverstein which says, put another log on the fire, cook me up some bacon and some beans, and go out to the car and change the tire, wash my socks and sew my old blue jeans, 
come on, baby, you can fill my pipe and then go fetch my slippers and boil me up another pot of tea, then put another log on the fire, baby, and come and tell me why you're leaving me. Now, don't I let you wash the car on Sunday? And don't I warn you when you're getting fat? Ain't I going to take you fishing with me someday? Well, a man can't love a woman more than that. And ain't I always nice to your kid sister? Then I take her driving every night. So sit here at my feet, because I like you when you're sweet. And you know it ain't feminine to fight. And that is the reality, so often, of how people's lives work today. The interesting thing is that when you turn to the pages of the Bible and you ask the question, how are husbands told to treat their wives? Nowhere are they told to rule their wives. They are told simply to love them. That's it. Love them. You see, guys, it's not difficult. But you've got to change how you live in the knowledge of all of this to be able to do this. You need to let them know how precious they really are. But guys, in too many cases, there's been an abduction wholesale, big-style abduction of love. No meaningful communication, no tenderness, no understanding, no sweetness. And on the wife's part, and the guy doesn't understand it, no response. Is it a surprise? And this crazy, sweaty, squash-playing man who arrives back Home thinks that despite the fact that he has had no meaningful conversation with his wife for at least three weeks will desire him in any way whatsoever and desire intimacy with him. The honor that we bestow upon our wives is to be bestowed in light of who she is, both naturally and spiritually. And we close this morning by quickly dealing with these two phrases. Notice. Display honor. Show the preciousness of your wife, first of all, because she is the weaker partner. Now, I remember speaking on this uh, line once, and um, Edie picked me up afterwards. And she was carrying a large box, and she said, make way for the weaker vessel. <laughs> and that's been, um, you know how certain things are seared on your mind, okay? And Edie, I, it was lovely, thank you. Um, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? But there's some things we need to understand. Now, what are the two most important letters in the phrase, weaker partner? Would anybody like to make a suggestion? What are the two most important letters Okay, everyone's terrified in case they get it wrong because their husband or wife uh, might uh, spot that. Anybody going to give it a go? Sorry, what was that? No. 
ER. Okay, notice it doesn't say the weak partner. Again, we get it wrong. The scriptures actually say the weak-er partner. And it's important that we understand this. It helps us a great deal. See, the verse does not say weak partner. And yet so often we read it as the weak partner. I'm the strong guy and she's the weak partner. But this is not how the Bible speaks of it. Peter has already said in chapter 1, verse 24, you're all weak, all of you. He talks about all men, all women being like grass that withers. And their glory is like flowers that fall away. The prophet Jeremiah said the same thing, Jeremiah 18. Romans 9 also says much the same thing concerning the potter and the clay. Friends, the Bible says that as humanity, we are all weak. Therefore, we share that weakness, but in some dimension, the wife is the weaker partner. Notice that the word partner is there as well. We can't miss that word. The Bible clearly states that our wives are our partners. So the biblical recognition of weakness is not derogatory and is not in any way implying inferiority. Now, when you meet people in the world and some in the church that tell you that 1 Peter 3 verse 7 and its counterparts in other scriptures are suggesting that a woman is a doormat and nothing else are wrong. Friends, this morning, we all need to read our Bibles properly. And know what the Bible actually says. But the world and some in the church seem to revel in trashing God's word today. It upsets me terribly that even in the church, can we believe the resurrection? People will stand up and say that from the pulpit. You see, an unbiblical approach is setting up a worldly environment and creating straw men and straw women, weak Christians, who are opening themselves up to failure, systemic failure. Friends, make no mistake, the husband-wife relationship is the greatest arena, perhaps, of spiritual warfare today. Because the enemy knows that if he divides you too, he will divide your family and he will weaken you and the church will be weakened. So in what way would a woman be described as weaker than a man? Well, it's true, they can't carry in most cases, although not in every case, I suspect, as many bricks up a ladder as a man can. So is that what Peter's talking about? I think that's much too simplistic, don't you? Just to simply say this is about physical weakness. So how about the possibility that there is another option? Perhaps what Peter is referring to here is the unique position taken by the 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 6 wife. And some of you women here can't relate to this. 
because you're not a 1 Peter 3 verses 1 to 6 wife. But the wife in 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6 is assuming her God-given role and accepting of the position of submission and therefore a position of vulnerability and therefore a position of potential weakness. And so Peter writes to the man and he says this, your wife becomes and is who she wants to be, a wife God's way. She has put herself in a position of vulnerability in her role as a woman. Therefore, make sure that you never exploit her. Make sure that you never take advantage of her. Make sure that you value her always and ensure that she is the most precious thing in your life after your relationship with God. If you don't, you make her feel useless. She feels she's in control of nothing. Recognize that delegation within the marriage bond is not top-down, but lateral. If you're going to live with our wives according to knowledge, then we need to recognize who they are naturally. And finally, very, very quickly, we recognize who they are spiritually because the Bible and the scriptures that we have here very clearly state this. Verse 7, second half, as being heirs together of the grace of life. And then this final statement that Peter makes in verse 7, that your prayers may not be hindered. Our wives are redeemed by the same ransom. Our wives live by the same grace. And they look forward to the same destiny. And you will notice that the final phrase reminds us of the importance of this. Why is it also important? Ultimately notice Peter does not say that you will be a happy family. Isn't that interesting? There is an approach to family life, which is nothing more than idolatry today. Oh, I can't come to church, the parents say. I can't come and worship. I can't come to this meeting. I can't support the church in the way that I know I should. Why? Because I'm worshiping at the shrine of family. My children control our family. We do what they want to do. We can't do what we believe we should because they don't want to. Now, of course, we are to pay attention to the needs of our families. But I want us this morning to remember that we're parents. And that might come as some as a shock, something as a shock to some. We are the parents. We make the choices. We plan the schedule. We control what happens. Friends, please notice that Peter tells us the reason that we are performing the roles that we have. 
It is because this is how God has instructed us to live. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. That's what the scriptures say. In other words, he says, your domestic relationship has profound impacts upon your spiritual fellowship. If your relationship with your wife is wrong, if it's wrong with your children, then the Bible says the doors of heaven, the windows of heaven will be closed to you. Our relationship with God will never be right as long as our relationship with others is wrong. Husbands, when was the last time you led your wife in prayer? Husbands, when was the last time you took your wife by the hand and perhaps even did something really old-fashioned and just knelt down together in prayer? And you bring her to the throne of grace. Have you ever prayed with your wife like that? How sad it is that men, we have neglected to take our wives to the one place that we're commanded to. The throne of grace. To pray with them. To pray for them. And we failed to do that. To the one place that we find the grace that enables us to be the kind of husband that we need to be. The one place where we find the grace to be the kind of wife that we are meant to be. And dare I say it, the one place where we find mercy because we're not the husband that we should be and we're not the wife that we should be. Peter's not calling for new action, guys. He's calling for the action that we should have because of the knowledge that has been given to us when we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we started to read our Bible. He's calling us to continue that. He's saying, I want you to get better at fulfilling the roles uniquely given to you by God, even if society laughs at you, even if society sneers at you, even if it stretches you to the limit, friends, we have to do this. You know the saying, don't you? God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, there was one crusty old pastor who when he heard this for the first time said, you don't have to believe it. If God said it, you do it. And God has said it. So you do it. I must do it. I ask you this morning, what will the next generation look like? What do you think is going to happen to this nation? Great nation of Canada. When a generation of children growing up in a corrupted society and in a confused church with a dad who doesn't know what he's supposed to do and a mum who hasn't got a clue finally hit the streets and make their way in life.
And the responsibility, my friends, really falls with the men here, the husbands, the fathers. What are you doing? How are you living? We're on a precipice. This is crucial. Husbands, let your wives know that they're precious. Will you do that today?